This podcast is brought to you by MedCloud. Get connected, cyber safe. Hello again, everyone, and thanks for joining me today. Welcome to another episode of Series 2 of the Vanguard Podcast. Ken Bagnell is CEO of Silent Push, but prior to this, he founded the Email Laundry in 2007, and a decade later, that company was acquired by FireEye. The Email Laundry provided secure email gateway and advanced threat detection capabilities to large enterprise and government customers globally. He also owns Fish Security and is an investor in other cybersecurity startups. During Ken's time at FireEye, he led a number of products, including the FireEye email security business and its products, which included cloud edition, server edition, and of course, the email laundry. A proud Irishman, Ken now lives in sunny Portugal and believe it or not, is a huge cricket fan and played a bit as well. Ken, thanks so much for joining me and great to speak to you after what feels like such a long time. How are you and how are things in Portugal these days? I am great, thanks, Scott. And uh, yeah, Portugal is lovely. It's uh, it's a little bit of a difference, I guess, from uh, from the weather you've experienced previously, right? Yep, I'm a climate refugee for sure. <laughs> it's uh, it's always a few degrees warmer here than there is at home, and uh, the sea is a steady temperature year round, which is nice. Well, a lot of people probably don't realise how much of a surfer you are, but um, that's obviously a major factor for why you wanted to go and live in Portugal for a little bit. Yeah, generally, I think it's a it's a good place for a better lifestyle, healthier living. It's a good place to ride your bike or surf year round where we live. Uh, and we live on one of those lovely kind of corners of land, you know, that has wind in both directions. So you, you can always catch uh, you can always catch somewhere offshore kind of thing. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great spot. Sounds magnificent. And once uh, once COVID finishes and so forth, I look forward to sharing some form of alcoholic beverage or not down there sometime we'll uh we'll certainly have to arrange that mm-hmm. i'm really looking forward to to this episode and as i said we haven't spoken for for a while since you know since covid and all these things come about but i really want us to go back to the start well not necessarily the start but i want to talk about your visionary and and leadership of the email laundry because everyone knows in the msp space and the security channel about the email laundry and the journey that that you and brian and your team had with the email laundry but how did that business come about? Was it your first business you founded? And, and, and what made you start the email laundry? Yeah, it wasn't actually the first business I'd started. So when I was in college, I did a postgrad in IT. My first degree was accountancy and business finance up in Scotland. But then I did a postgrad after a couple of years traveling in IT. And in order to fund that, I started a business, which was uh, a little bit premature in this field. <laughs> so I was... <laughs> I started the online giftware business in what year was that? Ninety seven or something. <laughs> it's like way too wow. <laughs> we we you know we we were on dial up broadband trying to upload pictures of stuff. It really wasn't great. But yeah, so we'd uh, I'd done that for a few years, and then you know I uh, was getting married with kids, and it was it was very much a lifestyle business. I'd you know travel down to Spain in the van. Uh, I'd surf on the way and on the way back, and then drop giftware around to the giftware shops on the west coast of Ireland and do some more surfing. So it was it was definitely uh, my young person's business, let's say. And then uh, when I was getting married and going to have kids, I thought I better I better cop on a bit here and um, get to get down to earning some money. So I briefly went into sales, landed in a cybersecurity company that was very early doing what it was doing. So it was online email and web filtering. But uh, it was all hosted software, you know, so it was like someone else's software and then just provided as a service. 
I really, I got so obsessed with it so quickly. It was quite unbelievable. And the same with another and a couple of lads in there. Like, so the, the guy who owned it, it was just, you know, it was another business to him. You know, he was in a, in a different game. And we got fairly obsessed fairly quick. So dropped out and started the email laundry then just a year later. A quick one, Kent. Why the obsession though? What, was it because there was a need or was it because you were passionate about it? What, why the obsession? I, I was extremely passionate about it. I didn't, I, I really hadn't thought there would be an industry like that where you could almost play a game as a living, you know? Yeah. This constant evolving circle of cat and mouse between defender and attacker. Yeah. And at the time, like, what was going on wasn't as interesting as it is now, right? It's like you were mostly stopping spam and stuff, right? Yeah. But it was still, it was a fantastic puzzle to solve all the time. And there was always new techniques evolving on the other side. And then you'd have to evolve new techniques to figure out how to stop it. And yeah, it's 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 kind of a beautiful thing, you know, yeah. and it has a very strange, you know, that whole security industry has a very bizarre, I don't know what you call it, an, an ecosystem where, you know, the better the attacker does, the better defender has to do. And like, they almost duel each other, right? As if they're kind of two rival mm-hmm. teams and one performs better because the other performs better. I find it absolutely addictive. Like it is just, I'm so lucky to have landed in that field. That's 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 how I feel about it. So out of that company, the sales company, the cybersecurity company that you're in for sales, morph the email laundry. Yeah. So we wanted to do it from first principles, right? So like start completely from scratch, not use anything anyone else had built. And we had no money to do it. So it wasn't like the kind of startup scene there is now, right? It was like, we were very fortunate that like a MSP locally to us in Dublin said, you know, well, if you go, we'll go with you and give you a thousand users day one. And so we were able to bootstrap it, right, from scratch. So we've been very lucky as well in terms of people have put their faith in us over the years, you know. And like you can't, you can't say thank you enough for that type of thing. It's, it's, uh, it's an incredible thing. But when we started that, it was, you know, it wasn't even like a security service you can imagine in that, like on day one, the service was people would send their email to us. We would take some out and pass on what was left. Yep. They had no way of knowing what we'd done. That's how raw that service was, you know. How much was that manual and, and how much was that automatic back in those days? Uh, no, it was, all, it was all automatic. It yeah. was, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And at the time, so there was a big... I better not get technical on it, right? But there was a there was a big gap in a certain way, a few technical ways of filtering stuff yeah. that that we worked out, and we could you know get rid of a lot of traffic very easily without any risk, and it wasn't generally being done in the industry. So we had a, we had a good head start technically, but then you know we didn't have any real service interface any sort of management portal any of that sort of stuff. So that was all slow to build over the years. And was the intention to always sell it through an MSP or a channel model or was it? Yeah, it was because that's how we started, right? So those yep. first guys who had faith in us were, were an MSP. So we stayed that way. We weren't particularly ambitious, right? When we started, like we thought we would just, you know, at first we were in Dublin, oh, we'll get some Irish customers. Then, you know, you kind of run out of Ireland pretty quick. So you go on to the next island. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then you you know, go across the channel community there and then you think, oh, where will we go next? <laughs> uh, and that's 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 kind of how it worked. The UK, though, was, I think, maybe the most fun. Like we made, I think, a lot of long-term 
friends in the UK channel community sure. and uh, really, really enjoyed it, uh, which is, you know, a great thing to say about work as well, right? Absolutely. But you, you, you were very much integrated into the community here. I mean, you yourself personally were on the executive council at CompTIA. You know, you and Brian did a, a magnificent job in raising the, the profile of email laundry when you made that leap over to the UK. What was the catalyst from going from the UK and then going, right, we're going to take on the world? Do you remember that moment where you just said, right, now's the time? Yeah, I, I kind of do because the next decision was, look, is Europe really a single market or do we have to stay to kind of ex-British colonies, if you get me, in terms of English-speaking yep. markets, yep. right? Europe just looked incredibly difficult, right? Because for what we're doing, it really does mean you would have to have, you know, at least 20 different brochures kind of thing and be serving content in in all the time. So it would be a, an enormous investment. And I really wanted to have a good crack at the States. And everyone was warning me off the States. They're going, you know, really? you as a, oh yeah. They were wow. saying like, you as a bootstrapped company cannot do the US. Like, they're saying, you know, really big companies, you know, said to me as well, like, look, we've spent a fortune trying to break the US and it's, it's just too hard. So what I did was the first, I went over the first year and I went into like a channel community, right? Yep. And uh, did the usual kind of thing, went to their events and tried to meet everyone and understand what their businesses were like. And something did become extremely clear to me. And I could see what the barriers were and why the US can appear to be difficult to break. And that's, they expect everything to be extremely US. And either people have like a, subconscious bias to things that are not like them yeah and if you do appear to be you know a european company they will shy away from it and go for the local one and vice versa here of course too absolutely yeah yeah so i think you, you've got to respect that wherever you're going and like some people i think you know will kind of moan about that but that's a ridiculous perspective right because a message is only received in the language of the recipient, right? And when you're in business, you are trying to define very clear messages, both like internally for your organization, you've got to define the mission and have everybody clear about it. And for you know, your market, you have to have a very clear message. And then for your investors, you have to have a very clear message. And there's no point in you kind of not tailoring that to exactly who you're speaking to. And in the US, you have to be extremely cautious about that and make sure it's a US message that you're that you're sharing, right? I can absolutely attest to that. You know, having taken companies from Europe to the US and taken US companies here to the UK, you know, if you're not projecting a, a localized message, I think you've got a wall in front of you. And any company that thinks that they can take their own message from their particular regional culture into other regions, I think are kidding themselves. Yeah, and you get the same problem going the other way. Like I see big US companies making the mistake when they go to other parts of the globe. They just keep banging out the same message and it doesn't it doesn't work as well. And then they get a skewed view of what the market actually is, right? So you often see when you see US companies talking about the cybersecurity market, they're largely talking about the US cybersecurity market and they discount some of the global brands. So, you know, you'd see market reports about cybersecurity and they'd leave Trend Micro out of it and you'd go I'm not sure if you can do that. Absolutely, bro. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty big global brand, you know. It you know it's just convenient for what you're saying today that you don't want it listed on the on the list of people you consider your competitors. But you know, if you're a global brand, you gotta you gotta go after the whole thing. 
Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And, and speaking to some of the VC people that, you know, friends of mine and, and stuff like that, if businesses are not operating as a global company, and that means materials, culture, currencies, everything like that, a lot of VCs shy away from it nowadays. Yeah, yeah. The VCs are okay, hard to understand as well, though. The final part of the email laundry and and your involvement in the the email laundry, obviously the big the big news in two thousand and seventeen was when obviously you guys were acquired. What was the process of that, and how did that affect you, and and where does it take you to now? Yeah, so I think every day is a school day, right? And that's definitely what was the start of a learning experience for us. So first of all, to go through an acquisition is a great thing to experience, but moving from MSP-based market into an enterprise-only market really was an enormous change for us. And I could go on forever about the lessons learned, really, because one thing that was very bizarre is, you know, we'd been doing email security for a long time and everything from first principles, right? So, you know, we were never kind of using something someone else made. And in that way, we were like the flora and fauna of Australia, Scotty. You know, we kind of evolved in our own direction, right? Absolutely. When we went into FireEye and then uh, started bringing our technology into their email security service, we had large enterprises, you know, calling up for meetings and then asking, uh, how come you guys can block this stuff that no one else can block? And I was dumbfounded. Like, I'd, I'd been blocking this stuff for years, right? Yeah. For people who didn't know or care, really. Like, <laughs> well, you're out of sight, out of mind, aren't you? It's an insurance policy. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That felt different, right? So people actually understood at a fundamental level what we were doing and how different it was. And there's a little bit of a lesson there, right, in that we could have been selling to that type of market all the time and making a lot more money, right? So you got to kind of take that lesson on. And there's a, there's a lot of those lessons that we learned in the, in the move, right, from where we were to post-acquisition. And it was very much like that, though. It was like, you know, when you, you win a level on a video game, and you get to go to the shop and buy new uh, weapons and stuff for your, next, for your next big boss level. That's what I felt it was like, right? It's like we had a chance to level up. And that's, that's very much how I treated it. NetCloud. Get connected. CyberSafe is our mantra. From tailored, managed security solutions to our next-generation cloud platform, MetCloud will drive your organization forward and help it thrive. You can keep up to date with us in all things cybersecurity by following us on Twitter at MetCloud underscore com. We're also on LinkedIn and YouTube. You can find the links to our social media pages and blogs via our website, metcloud.com. data had a sound, it could be this, the sound of important and sensitive information leaking out of your business. MetCloud, get connected, cyber safe.
Yeah, that's it's a great analogy. I really love that. One of the things I wanted to ask you is, you hear a lot of companies talk about security, and it's an area of the technology that you focused on for a long time, cybersecurity and, and, and email security. And with your experience in the business world, do you think businesses nowadays, and I don't mean our IT business and technology business, I mean businesses and enterprises in general, do you think businesses are taking security of their networks and infrastructure and, and hardware seriously? And my additional question to that is, who do you think is responsible for educating those businesses? Is it the vendors, governments, insurance companies? Is it themselves? You know, are people taking security of their of their businesses and also their staff? Because obviously, a lot of the information is their staff's personal information on their on their business networks. Are businesses taking that seriously? And who should be educating them on on the risks and and rewards of proper email security and and cybersecurity? Yeah, I think um, no is the answer. It's not taken seriously enough. And in a very kind of bizarre twist on how we've seen this evolve over the years, ransomware is helping to solve that problem to a certain extent, right? And that the business value of security is clearer to companies now because they want to survive. They have to take it seriously because they'll be wiped out. While obviously it's horrendous that this level of hijacking of people's businesses is, is going on. It's better than the subtle leak of things that goes on and then people don't invest in security, right? Because that can go on forever. And who knows like how bad that is when it's not discovered. And I think a lot of cybercrime is undiscovered. The evolution of the cyber criminals is better than the evolution of the cybersecurity side of things. And like we see that really, really clearly, particularly in the business that we're in now. So like if you look at if we take ransomware, for example, and you take a look at the criminal ecosystem that evolved, uh, that exists in order to make it happen and then to get the money out, etc. It's a very broken down ecosystem of specialists in each area, right, that complement each other. And we don't have the equivalent on the security side of things, or not yet anyway. So like, for example, if I wanted to ransom your company or something, right, so I go and I go to ransomware company, uh, use their affiliate program, I get 75% of the money, they get 25%. I go to an access broker who's already broken into your company and is maintaining access, and I get the access from them, pay them, put the ransomware in, and then that all happens, right? So a lot of specialist people involved there to kind of make this happen and make it happen smoothly on the criminal side of things. On the defender side of things, though, it's not so smooth, right? So each of the security vendors involved will have a block box scenario where they don't tell you what they're stopping and why they're stopping it, and they don't share it with each other. So you've got different security products in there. You don't know if they are using the same threat intelligence on each level, block the same stuff, and you're just repeating the same thing, even though you think you have different layers. Like It's, it's all obscured, right? They don't explain to you what they're stopping and why they're stopping. And sometimes they don't know because they're paying a third-party service for the intelligence. They don't know why it was bad in the first place. So there's there's too many layers, too many people not doing things from first principles. It would be better if each person was shared in their specific area and so confident in what they did that they would share the information with other people, right? Like, we're the specialists in this particular aspect. Here's the information. Go and use it in your products. And that is what we're doing in the new company, right? So that's what Silent Push is all about. We're trying to blow open that black box scenario and uh, share the information as to why different 
internet infrastructure is suspicious or not, and then you can go and use it in whatever security product you want or whatever cloud service you have. If it's if you're on Office 365, put into the Microsoft Graph API. If you're on Amazon, stick it into Guard Duty. But you know, we'll be the specialist in terms of monitoring and tracking that attacker infrastructure, seeing what domains they've set up for this particular malware campaign and sharing that out, right? And we don't mind if it's a security vendor using it, using their product, or if it's an enterprise customer using it to defend themselves or discover what else is after them. But that's the kind of evolution we need on the defending side to match what's happening on the attacker side. So more collaboration as well between tools and operating systems and, and other... Yeah, and then uh, uh, visibility, right? Between, between the different course. tools. Because it, it, the idea that you could like buy, sorry, a firewall and a, and a uh, network security product, and they might actually just be repeating the same information. And, and you don't know if they know why they're stopping stuff. It, it, it's all a little bit wrong. Yeah, so there needs way more collaboration. What about from a policing perspective? Is there any way that the legal entities in various company, you know, countries and Interpol and, and all those cross-border, you know, policing units, is there any way that these things can be stopped? Is it is it down to countries, governments, or is it is it a global thing that we need to sort out? Yeah, I think I think they've they've improved in some ways in that sort of international collaboration. Uh, and you do see big takedowns that are yeah. across a lot of geographies, right, and political systems. But there are nations who benefit enormously from the crime industry and therefore will protect them, right? And there's there's obviously points when they're tracking bank transfers where it stops and the next bank in whatever jurisdiction won't collaborate and therefore the trail goes cold. Yeah. So there's like serious political problems, uh, but there have been, I think, enormous improvements. Like you do see, uh, you do see very impressive takedowns across geographies and political spectrums. That's interesting, actually, what you've just mentioned there. It sounds like, because obviously banks are needed to move funds. So it sounds like the banks are getting involved as well, which is fantastic. Yeah, they are. And there's a lot of uh, ISACs, you know, information sharing yep. and collaboration outfits between uh, particularly the financial sector and the banking sector, which they all do a great job, right? Because you do need, a lot of intelligence for stuff that is focused on your industry and there's no point in you kind of just trying to defend yourself from the stuff that's affecting the pet shop on the corner you need to know what's affecting your particular part of the industry yeah really so the more the more of that collaboration the better yeah i love that that's that's really insightful from your perspective what do you see as the next security threat you know you're an industry leader you've been in the industry not that long of course but um you know you've been around a while now to see what goes on and and trends what what do you see that's coming and do we have the right tools to combat those threats at the moment whether it's businesses or personal as you say we're a little bit behind the game to what the cyber criminals are doing but is that delta diminishing and if so what is the next threat that we're going to see there's a lot of new threats that are being slowly revealed at the minute that are worrying. So the fact that the crime element is evolving so quickly and getting into, you know, special segmentations is a very big problem, right? Particularly with the type of supply chain attacks that have been going on because everybody's rushing into centralized, large cloud platforms. And the reliance in terms of like just economically, right, if all the business that are on one or two of those run into trouble because the whole platform is in trouble, 
then I think it'll have serious knock-on effect. And there's a lot of layers of software in those services, and it's very hard to keep it safe. So it's a, it's a difficult one because you see all these vulnerabilities talked about every every week. You'll see new stuff coming out. And then you'll see, oh, they had a cloud service and it was patched first. So therefore, you should be on the cloud service because you're safer on that company's cloud service. And that's probably true in terms of the patching. But there's also the risk that you don't really have full visibility as to whether you are breached or not. There's a, there's a lot of worries, I think, from my side in terms of very, very large providers having a lot of control. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting, very insightful. I'm going to finish off this part of the, the, the podcast because we're going to have our quick fire three in a minute. But the final question I want to have, I mean, we could do a cybersecurity podcast that could last hours, I'm sure. And I, I know that many, many people are interested in what's going on in, in the industry, but that that's a fantastic overview. And I thank you for that. What I wanted to finish off and get your insight in is a lot of our listeners are either SaaS business owners, founders, or involved in SaaS businesses. You know, you've founded, you've grown, and you've, you've sold successfully the email laundry, and you're an investor in other cybersecurity startups and SaaS businesses. Are there any points along the way that you would and wouldn't do again in, in setting up a business? And are there three things or four things or one thing that you think would help someone who's, who's going through that journey right now? Yeah, there's a, a few things there. So there's lots of things I wouldn't do the same, right? Because we bootstrapped the last one. That takes an enormous amount of time. You can only grow at the rate of the cash you're bringing in. So time is the one thing you have very little of in life, right? So uh, if you can't accelerate that process, do. The only thing is, gives you a chance to learn lessons on the way, which, you know, if you have to learn them in an accelerated kind of environment, uh, it, it might bring you down. So that's a tough call, right? Maybe your first one should be a bootstrap slow one, and then your next one should be an accelerated one. But uh, yeah, I think absolutely. that's one point where you're going to have, I think most people who do this type of thing, you're yeah. going to have a number of businesses, you know, as you as you grow in life. And it's best to learn from the early ones and try and level up and then go on to a bigger one next. And I'd also say take advice. Like yeah. one of the best things I think I do do is listen to other people. Listen to care, listen to customers, but never literally, right? Because you remember, if, if Henry Ford had asked his customers what they want, he'd have been making faster horses, right? Yeah. So think about what the problem is they want to be solved. Yeah, 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 yeah. And only black cars as well. <laughs> and I think that what yeah. I said earlier about a message is only heard in the language of the recipient. I think that is something I try and think of all the time. Because you see it, even in everyday conversations, you see it. You know, if you speak to someone who isn't used to hearing different accents, they will have to keep, you know, saying, sorry, I, I don't know what you're saying, right? So on, the, on, the, on the most basic level. And that is actually the same for your marketing messages, right? If you don't have their language, they'll be going, sorry, I'm not quite sure what you mean, right? Uh, so that's a really important point, I think. So just breaking down barriers of no. What I mean by that is not allowing potential customers to say no. So breaking down those barriers at the at the outset, as opposed to giving the opportunity of saying no. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've never looked at sales that way, you know, in terms of someone saying yes or no. Like it's it's more like, do they have this problem? And then can I fix it, right? And then I should be the one saying yes or no, right? Yeah, it's a good point. It's a really good point. That's fantastic, mate. Really love those tips. And, you know, I'm, I'm involved in a couple of 
businesses from a, a consulting point of view and from some advice, you know, with friends. And I think every single point that you made there is is relevant, whether it's learn from the first one and learn, you know, get some cash and, and investment for the second one and accelerate that growth on the lessons learned. I think that's a really, really good one. Learn to level up. We'll, we'll do we'll do a book, Scotty. <laughs> we, we could do that, mate. We could do that. We'll put your picture on the front cover as opposed to mine, though. But, Ken, that, that really, really good, really, really good suggestions there. And, and if you're a business owner, there's some, there's some great tips. So thank you for that. And thanks for going through the journey with me. I, I really appreciate that. As I said, you know, we've only got half an hour or 40 minutes to go through what you've accomplished in, in 20, 30 years, which is it doesn't give it enough justice. So, But as you say, there's a book there somewhere, mate. Go we'll look it. to do that. I'm going to start off with a quick fire three. I love my quick fire three questions because I think, you know, they're, they're, they're very quick and, and they come at the top of the head and I get a lot out of these. Whether Hopefully the listeners do too, but I certainly do. But number one, what, what job did you want to do as a kid and did you do it? I wanted to be a cowboy or a rodeo rider. And how did that go for you? Well, I fell off an awful lot of horses as a kid. Uh, <laughs> and then the idea of falling off horses for a living kind of went off. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, so cowboy or ro- rodeo. Saying that though, I know you've spent a lot of time in the states. Do you go to rodeos when you're there? Uh, no, I, I, I used to go to them in Australia. Uh, oh, okay. Yep. I yep. have never been to a US one now. No. Wonder how different they are. We'll have to. We'll have to check. Yeah, we'll have out to investigate there, that mate. for sure. For that's sure. it. Yep, that's a deal. We're, we're there. Number two is a question that I ask probably, I would say, the most out of all the podcasts I do because I like this one. Do you have a favorite quote or philosophy you live by? Yeah. So uh, one thing one thing that I, I always say to myself is like, the more I know, the more I realize I know nothing, right? <laughs> yeah. They say it's Socrates, but again, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I like that. But yeah, I think I think that is that is something you realize in everything, right? So you realize it in sport, you realize in business, everything. Like when you get to a point where you're actually competent is when you realize, you know, you're just touching the tip of the iceberg and you realize how much there is. That's a great uh, great philosophy because my feedback to that would be if I do re- if I do feel like I know everything, I'm in the wrong job or I'm kidding myself. Yeah, probably kidding yourself. Right? It's you only only teenage boys think they know everything, right? After that, we all cop. Oh, <laughs> yeah, with a fourteen-year-old, absolutely. You know, apparently, I know nothing about cricket, which is uh, which is probably not wrong, by the way. But you know, that's uh, yeah. Apparently, I've got no idea. So that that's fine. Last question, and Ken really really enjoyed this catch up, and 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 obviously look forward to to doing so again very soon. But where do you want to be in ten years? And is it where you thought you'd be ten years ago? I think this is a very difficult one because uh, yep. I think 10 years is a long time away. So I would expect to be retired and still playing an awful lot of sport, really, and traveling, but just traveling for fun instead of work. Right? Absolutely. I think, though, I would probably still be involved in threat hunting as a hobby because uh, it's addictive. I love that. I love that. When you say playing sport, are you playing cricket in Portugal? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm so I'm so bad at cricket, Scott. I'm one of those people who plays cricket Doesn't matter. even though they're terrible. <laughs> you know what? There are so many YouTube clips out there at the moment, Ken, that I've realized I'm not as bad as I thought I was. <laughs> so I, I I love it, mate. And um, we will get to a game. I know we've always spoken about it for the last 10 years. We've spoken about doing a game or getting to a game at some point, and I'm sure we will. But Mate, I want to thank you very, very much for your time this morning. 
the inside knowledge on not only growing and exiting a successful business is something that I know many, many people will want to hear, but just your your industry-leading knowledge in threat detection and cybersecurity and cybersecurity businesses is something that I'm sure all of our listeners will really appreciate. So thank you for your time this morning, mate. All the very best in your uh, wave hunting as well as threat hunting, <laughs> and, and I wish you all the best for fish security and, uh, and silent push and every other business you're involved in. Thanks very much, mate. Thanks a million, Scotty. Good to talk Appreciate to you, it. See you soon. Ken's story is all about vision, determination, learning from past experiences, and continuously leveling up to where he is today as a SaaS and cybersecurity entrepreneur and investor, as well as a respected member of the MSP and vendor communities. I like how Ken is open and honest about how businesses and the industry itself are falling behind in the cybercrime landscape, and how he quotes that the evolution of the cybercriminal is far better than the evolution of the cybersecurity side of things. Interesting, but a worry all at the same time. I've always found Ken to be generous with his time and advice whenever needed and truly enjoyed catching up. Thanks for your time today, Ken. Join me again in two weeks' time for another podcast and please subscribe and share with your colleagues and friends. Remember, take care, stay safe and keep on innovating.